Really, missions is just ordinary people putting their yes on the table and desiring to see God worshiped for who he is. Life as a mom can be really hard and it can seem like we have nothing left to pour out. I'm Tina and I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. Join me every week as we talk about God's purpose in our marriage and motherhood. Though at times those feelings of inadequacy can be overwhelming, there is so much joy to be had in the ordinary if we just take a few moments to find it. I am so grateful to be joined by Rivers Parton on today's episode. Rivers is a sweet friend who has a unique perspective on missions. More specifically, missions in the home as a busy mom. I'm Rivers. Dave and I have been married for 23 years and we have four kiddos, three girls and a boy. They are 15, 13, 11, and 9. It always feels like I'm thinking really hard because someone's always like just had a birthday and changed ages. So that's our kids. And I work full-time for the North American Mission Board as a spouse development specialist. So I, my husband is a church planter. We planted a church here in Kansas City five years ago. We just celebrated five years. And I work with church planters' wives. So I, I say that I have the best job in the world because I get to come alongside church planting women who um, are living a very similar life to what I'm living and support them, encourage them offer them training, coaching, and care wherever I can, which I love, love, love being a part of. But my days look a lot like a lot of yours. I get up and make my kids lunches and get them off to school. And then this morning, someone left their lunch on the lunchbox or left their lunchbox on the counter. And so I had to run that up to the school. And and then I spent a lot of time on my laptop and doing Zoom and Skype meetings and phone calls and lots of different things. So, and then I make dinner just like most of you, (laughs) put people to bed and hang out with my neighbors. And, you know, so. Before moving to Kansas city, where were you? Yeah. So Dave and I have actually been in ministry, our, our whole marriage in a lot of different, a lot of different ways, but, um, we, we're in student ministry for a long time. Dave was a worship pastor for a while. And we, Then we were in high school and college ministry and began to do these missions moments with our students every Sunday. And the Lord just used them to, in our own hearts. Um, And we asked, just put the question on the table, like, should we move overseas and be missionaries? And God used that season to call us and take us to Budapest, Hungary. And we lived there for four years. Two of our kids, we went with two kids. We came back with four. So two of our kids were born there. Um, Jackson and Melody were born there, our younger two. And yeah, so we worked with crew. We worked with college students in Budapest. We were assigned to the economics campus. That's where we did most of our our ministry. Um, And Really, we say that God used that season in our life way more than we were used because he just taught us so much about who he is, 
his goodness, the amazing ways he wants to use us in the world. And um, Hungarians are just really beautiful people. And so fell in love with their culture and so many students and families there. So so you were in a full-time ministry capacity, not one of those, I'm over here for my occupation, but I'm also doing ministry. Like that's all you did was ministry. Yeah. Yeah, we spent two years doing language learning. So we were doing probably 60% language learning, 40% missionary job type things. Um, And of course, our kids were really little. And so I was mostly at home. Mm -hmm. Um, My life, honestly, besides needing help reading ingredients on label, my life looked very similar to what it looks like here. You know, Um, I was home with our kids a lot. Um, So... Yeah, the first two years we did a lot of language learning, and then the the our we were there for four. So then the second two years, um, we were on campus a lot, had students in our home constantly. Our some we ran a summer project called Speak Out, where Hungarian American students came over as English tutors, and Hungarian students came for an immersive English learning experience, and got to and then heard the gospel the whole week long, and so. Uh, we trained, Dave and I were in charge of training the American students that came over in evangelism and sharing their faith. And um, it was a, it was a blast. Our whole family lived in the dorms for five weeks and it was, it was amazing. We always joked and said, speak out is five weeks long because the first three or four weeks you can like do this in your own strength. And then the last week you, you you're forced to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because you're all sick of each other and, <laughs> sick of the food and sick of camp life. And so, yeah. So how does how does that work with um, Americans coming over and they I mean, they only know and speak English, correct? Or do they have any sort of Hungarian knowledge? How do you teach English if you don't have the others? Maybe maybe I'm just clueless. I'm just not sure how that how that looks works. Oh, that's a great question. Um most Hungarians actually speak English, some English, particularly I would say people 40 and under have some basic English knowledge. Hungary is a pretty small country and so, and Hungarian is only spoken in Hungary. And so all, all over Europe, English is kind of this common language. And so particularly we worked with a lot of Um, Like I said, we were on the economics university campus and English really is the business language of the world. And so most students that we worked with spoke some English. Whenever we had tourists come over, if they were like nervous about getting lost in the city or not being able to read a sign, I would just say, just find someone who looks pretty young. They'll they'll be able to help you. (laughs) Like they'll they'll speak English. So they they had some English skill, but not a lot of experience being able to just have conversation with a native English speaker. And so most of the campers came with with some English knowledge. But we also had our Hungarian students who were believers there at camp, and they led groups in the morning in Hungarian in kids' heart language. And so they were hearing the gospel in Hungarian and English in several different ways all, all throughout the day. And so it was a pretty great um, summer project there was a you know a layer of discipleship and ministry mm-hmm. and then also evangelism for for the campers that came so it was already an established ministry before you went over yes okay and yeah. then are your are your kids um bilingual then or a little little bit or have they just kind of forgotten it yeah great question also um our two older girls who are 
15 and 13, both went to Ovida, which is like Hungarian kindergarten, preschool and kindergarten. And so Joy, our oldest, was very fluent, had, you know, friends and she would have a play date and they would just be chattering in Hungarian and I'd be like trying to listen like, like, I didn't know that's how you said that. Or like, oh, (laughs) she has no accent, you know, like she's just because she was able to learn in preschool. But we have been back in the States now for eight years and Joy and Lydia have lost most of their language knowledge. They have some key phrases they say, some funny things, you know, or like there's a Hungarian phrase that they say that's forbidden and they say it to kids all the time. (laughs) If they're doing something dangerous or, you know, climbing on something, they'll say nimsavad. It means that's forbidden. And so my kids still say that, which is funny. Like if they're just like bothering each other or something, they'll be like, Nimsabod. Like, that's forbidden. Don't do that. So they have some phrases and some sweet things that we've clung to and hung on to. But no, they've lost their mm-hmm. language. And the younger two, they were still pretty young then. So they probably yeah. didn't catch on to as much. No, Jackson no. was eight months old. Um, when we moved back, so he didn't ha- he didn't speak English or Hungarian. No, <laughs> he didn't say anything. No. When I first think of missions, I tend to think of you know this foreign land or native tribes or um, Bible translators, um, basically anything that you'll see in a children's missionary biography, you know, like just think Jim Elliott or something. And, and so that's kind of my thought. And I'm sure that that's probably not what it actually is then. Um, it's not as necessarily as primitive or anything as, as that is. Um, and I think maybe you've, you've already talked a lot about what your missions looked like, but what's, um, what would you say that missions really is? Maybe that's too vague. You know, I think mish, the goal, John, John Piper is pretty well known for saying missions exist because worship does not. And so the goal of missions um, is worship. It's for more people to come into the family of God and worship the king who deserves all of our worship. And so really missions is a desire to see God more glorified through men becoming worshipers, men and women, children becoming worshipers. And so, um, yeah, I think we often think, I I kind of use the phrase, the bush and the bullhorns. That's how I picture missions a lot before I was a missionary. Um, You know, you think of like the the bush, meaning like a a hut somewhere with a dirt floor and, you you know, a a very, very primitive, like what you were saying, We, we think of that, or we think of you know, street evangelism or something like that is how we typically picture missions. But really missions is just ordinary people putting their yes on the table and desiring to see God worshiped for who he is. It's been really helpful for me to kind of blow the construct of that I had of missions and say missions is really just everyday people being intentional with their life. And being joyful worshipers and being intentional about inviting others in into that. And so that that definitely needs to happen in primitive areas of the world. There are so many unreached people groups who have 
no knowledge of the Lord, um, except for what's revealed in nature, of course, but they, they don't understand the gospel and that King Jesus came to die for their sins and wants them to be reconciled to the Father. And so we definitely need people who are willing to, you know, Inter, be Jim Elliot's and enter in, into those villages and those places. And we need Bible translators and we need people who are willing to stand on the streets and start conversations with people for, you know, divine appointment conversations. And we also need many, many, many people to just enter into friendships with people who are far from God and to share their story and their life with them, to invite them to meals around their table and to coffee at a cafe in their neighborhood and just do normal, everyday things with them, all with the intention of desiring for God to be worshipped. That ties right into what I was going to ask next is how can missions look in the home? So there there are also different different stages of life. And, you know, when you're when you're a new mom and just thinking back as as a when my littles were all home. I, I felt very, um, I don't know, tied down to all of their needs and everything. So the idea of missions and evangelism, it just seemed so far out there. Like that's, I can't do that right now. I can't do that because my kids are so little. Or um, I know that, that there had been uh, several different times where somebody had said, you know what, missions can happen right at the checkout. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm pretty sure that the cashier wants me to just get my chaos out of here, right? Like, I, I don't see missions at the checkout. And and so anyway, you touched on it as as having someone into your home, mm-hmm. um, reaching out and just finding ways to live life with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other ways that maybe in the different stages of life we can live missions or teach missions to our children and make it an everyday thing? Yeah, such a good question. And I, I agree with you. I remember, I mean, my, our four kids are fairly close together in age. When Jackson, our youngest was born, Joy was five, about to turn six. And so four kids in six years. I remember those days. I'm not, Jackson's only nine, so I'm not super far removed from it of like, Every second of my entire waking day was filled with someone needing something, someone, you know, needing real things like food and to be cleaned and, you know, like real needs that um, God was very much calling me to meet in my kids' lives. And so, yeah, I think our season makes a big difference in how we engage and enter into missions, but it doesn't mean we don't enter in. And I... I often think about, and I love this so much, um, the resurrection when the angel reveals to Mary who had come to the tomb and he tells her, go quickly and get the disciples, you know, and then it says that she runs with fear and joy. And I think missions, entering into missions is often like that. We we do it with fear and joy, right? We're afraid that we're not going to have enough energy left at the end of the day if we add one more thing to our plate. Or we're afraid that this might mess up our kids somehow if this person who doesn't 
use the best language is around them, or there's a, there, it's countless, the fears that enter into our minds when we step into unknown areas, right? But there's great joy, um, obviously, whenever we are obedient to what God's calling us to. And then, you know, right after this, the disciples meet up with Jesus, and that's when he gives him the great commission and says, go into all the nations and make disciples. Um, and then he says, because, I, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And so I always think about that. Okay, I'm entering into this, Lord, with fear and joy and the reminder that you're going to be with me always, you know? Um, so yeah, it's helpful for me to remember as a mom, it's overwhelming to think about all the tasks you already have on your plate and then also entering into these other things and, and different things like that. But, you know, for our kids, one thing that Dave and I have always been really intentional about doing is God has called Dave and I to certain things. And that automatically means he's calling our children to that. God has set us in a family and what Dave and I are called to, our kids are called to. And so we have always wanted to share with them that. And so um, in Hungary, we used to host a lot of meals at our home because my kids were really little. They went to bed really early. Somebody was always crying or something. And it was, it was honestly easier if we were at our home instead of somebody else's because I could step away or give, put them to bed and enter back in or whatever, you know? And so we had a lot of meals at our home and it was, there was, it was a sacrifice at times. I would be cooking, you know, during the day or getting things cleaned up to get ready for these students to come over or a neighbor to come over. Um, but all along the way, I tried to be really intentional to share with our kids why we were doing that. So, um, you know, I remember Joy's like three or four and I was telling her she needed to pick her toys up out of the living room and put them in the basket because we're having neighbors over who don't know about Jesus and we want to build friendship with them so that we can talk to them about, about Jesus. And so that's why we're picking up our toys. And so even those simple ways that kids are, are doing things and helping you prepare your home for people to come over, be intentional to tell them why you're doing that. Why are you having your neighbors over and why do we want to pick up our toys so that they don't trip on them or whatever, you know, um, and just saying it over and over over and over again, in the learning communities, a lot of times they'll say, you know, repetition is king. Like that's how we actually learn something is just hearing it over and over again. And so repeating those reasons why we do things with our kids is really helpful. There, there's lots of, of ways kids can enter into those things, like helping you set the table, helping you put the food in the crock pot in the morning, you know, um, even when you have to go grocery shopping for something, sharing with them that you're preparing for people to come over, um, all those ways. And just including your kiddos in those is it's a great way to expose your kids to I, what I would call just missional living, just living like a missionary. I like how you explain to them the reason why, because, um, I find myself so often just harboring, not harboring, but you know, like getting on them for, you need to pick this up. You need to pick this up. Why haven't you picked this up? And so giving them a a reason or a motivation thinking outside of themselves, like that's, that's good. That's helpful. Um, but see, uh, now what if, what if my house isn't perfect <laughs> and clean <laughs> all the time? Because that hangs over my head too, because I, I know that I feel calmer and just, it's more enjoyable to be in my home 
when it's clean, I feel like I can relax. And so I, I get this in my head that I can't have somebody over if my house is messy because mm-hmm. then um, maybe they'll feel stressed. Or, you know, I, I just make up some, some excuse mm-hmm. in my head. So what if my house isn't clean? Yeah. You know, I like a clean house also. So I relate to this question a lot. Um, What I have discovered is me desiring for my house to be really perfect is much more about me than it is about my guest. It's much more about me desiring to present myself in a certain way or keep up a certain appearance. And I've discovered that when people... um, see your house a little disheveled or what I would call normal, (laughs) it's really helpful for them understanding that you're a normal person just like they are. And it really opens a door, honestly, to vulnerability and conversations about real things versus this perfect facade that none of us can actually keep up in in real life, you know, but we definitely, my kids make fun of me. We have like standards for first time guests and standards for (laughs) that. They joke. They're like, are these people first time guests? Like, does the house need to be like first time guests clean? So we have regular ongoing conversations around here about stuff like that. Oh my word. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Your kids are so fun. Um, Yeah. They're hilarious. They love to make fun of me. That's for sure. Um, that's the, that's like you, when you get into the teenage years, you're like, oh wait, wait, we've changed. This dynamic has changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think just keeping the focus on what is the purpose, and and it's not about me or people thinking I'm a great housekeeper. Like that's really, you know, when you you think about what hospitality is, just like we were talking earlier about missions, we we often have these automatic thoughts that enter our brains when we hear certain words. And hospitality, we often quickly think of like a beautifully set table or a perfectly roasted chicken or whatever. And honestly, biblical hospitality is welcoming a stranger. And so it has very little, if nothing, to do with the food you're placing on your table or the decor in your home. It is a posture. And so we think about a heart posture and a tone and a mood that we're setting that would be hospitable. Those things can be done whether you own a home or not, whether you feel like you're a good cook or not, whether you, you know, are out somewhere else. I know for for Dave and I, we're really involved at our kids' school and we seek to have a, a a welcoming, hospitable posture when we're there, everywhere we go really, but it doesn't have to be in your home with a perfectly set table or clean home. It's, it's really a heart, a heart posture towards another versus caring about those things. Do you, so it sounds like your kids enjoy having others into the home because that's just what they're used to? It's definitely been what they're used to. That is for sure. COVID was very strange for them. They, I remember a couple weeks in, Joy was like, are we going to have people at like what? You know, I was trying to help explain to them like, no, we're actually not going to have anybody over because no one's having anybody over, you know? And so, yeah, that was a really interesting thing to talk through because it has been just a very, very normal part of their life. I will say it is not always easy. We we have a lot of conversations about sharing their things and what does it look like to have someone break something of yours or just di- different things like that. So they but don't you know, get better at that over time? 
No, <laughs> they do learn to lock their bedroom door. And, okay. <laughs> you know, we did, we've learned some things the hard way. We had mm-hmm. a Christmas open house um, the first year we lived here in this neighborhood and had a massive amount of people come. And, you know, I always pictured open houses as like, you pop in, you eat a cookie, you leave, you know, but a lot of people came and just stayed the whole time, which was super fun. But at the end of the night, when everyone finally left and I went upstairs and was like trying to get people ready for bed, I recognized that there was a cup of hot chocolate, like all on the wall in Jackson's room and had spilled down into like a Lego bin. And I was like, that's a disaster, you know, and things were disheveled in Joy's room and somebody had been in another person's room. And anyway, just so you learn things the hard way sometimes of like, oh, when we're having a lot of people over, we should shut and lock their bedroom doors. Mm -hmm. And um, just boundaries are good for the protection of our kids' things and their hearts so that they're not bitter towards us opening our home as often as we do. And then also so that, you know, kids aren't getting into trouble and doing things they shouldn't be doing in other parts of the house or, or whatever. And so mm-hmm. you do learn things like that along the way. And then you get to have really good conversations with your kids about how nothing in our, we say this all the time, like nothing in our house matters more than people. And so keeping that perspective of these things have been given to us from the Lord to steward for his glory. And we can be sad about them being broken and, you know, mommy might replace that for you or whatever, but keeping that focus of people matter most and um, those kinds of things. So. So where can we find these people? Oh, great question. Um, (laughs) I I actually, um, feel this a lot get, or get this question quite often like how do you start engaging in missional conversations or, or missional relationships and you know I think a big thing we talked about this already that keeps us from engaging in missional living is fear and then margin those keep us a lot um, margin just like how do I add this to my plate or how do mm-hmm. I enter into these conversations and my my first thing is just be intentional with all the things you're already doing. Just be really intentional. And I'll I'll just give you an example. When we first moved here, um, I realized that at our elementary school, the car line is like a really long, it takes forever and people wait in the car line for a long time. And so I was like, okay, this is not fun. Like what? And then I, I realized there was this group of people out by the back playground standing there waiting for their kids. And so they weren't waiting in the long car line. They were all out together in kind of a little group. And so I realized that not only were those people there every day picking up their kids, but they were there early. They would get there like 10, 15 minutes before school actually let out. And I, Tina, you know this about me. I'm not a get places early person. Like I don't show up anywhere early, but because I realized there was this group of parents at this playground standing around early, I just got really intentional and decided I was going to show up for pickup every day, 10 to 15 minutes early and try to initiate conversations with people. And so it was something I was already doing. I needed to pick my kids up every day. It's really helpful if you know some other parents in your kids' schools, right? Um, But I wanted to be really intentional to build relationships in that environment. And so that's just one example of something I did to try to build relationships with people um, that were outside of our church or outside of a Bible study I was in. Um, And God was really faithful and praying all along the way that God would use that time and allow me to build relationships and friendships there. And several people from that group of parents actually 
um, came to know the Lord, were baptized, and are faithful parts of our, our church now. And so just really sweet to see God take a small act of obedience, a small stepping out of my comfort zone, and then use it, use it in that way. It was really encouraging. Yeah. I don't know why um, sometimes I have a fear of people. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I know that you're also, you know, you're intentional in making time in your schedule for the PTA, which mm-hmm. I, okay. Before my kids entered school, I used to think, okay, the PTA, like who wants to be part of the PTA, right? Like it sounds, I don't know. I don't know how it sounds, but it just, yeah. it has a, it has a thing. And, uh, but I like it because it's, for me, it's a way to be in their school and actually getting to know, well, in a normal year, right? <laughs> Whatever a normal year looks like being involved. And so you do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, serving, being being available and willing to help out in in different environments is a huge way that you can get to know other people. Every organization, I don't care if it's a community center, a private school, a public school, um, every organization is desperate for help. And and it, as believers, if you can say yes to helping in a certain way, it's going to give you an automatic end to building relationships and friendships and getting to know people. And then it's just the the obedience of, of being faithful to be intentional in your conversations and, and bring up the gospel and offer it to people at that point, which, again, keeping in mind, Mary, when she ran to get the disciples with fear and joy, you know, I never enter into those things just hundred percent confident. I always enter into them with fear and joy, reminding myself that God's with me. So are there any other ways with your kiddos that you now, as they've gotten older, other than having people over and being, mm-hmm. being okay and, um, putting on a smile for that sometimes <laughs> forcing the smile at times. Um, are there any other ways that you work with your own kiddos as they've gotten older with a missions lifestyle. And then I guess maybe are you, do you have missions? How'd you call it? Missions minutes, mission, mission minutes, moments, moments. Yeah. Yeah. Mission moments with them. Yeah. We had a missions moment every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, um, You mentioned earlier biographies of missionaries. That's something we've, loved since they were little is reading missionary biographies to them with them. And then as they got older, they read some of those on their own. Um, That's one way, just keeping missionaries and missions before them and in their mind. Uh, Another way is our church participates in an international missions offering in December every year. And we're just really intentional with our kids to talk about giving to missions. Our our girls last year, the, the, our church, it's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. It's named after a, a missionary. Um, and our girls last year wanted to help raise some money for this offering. And so I just asked them, well, what could you do? What's something that you, ha- is there something you could sell or a service you could offer? And so we just were having this conversation and Joy had just recently asked if we could make homemade chapstick. And so they, on their own, came up with this idea to make Lottie's lip balm. And so they named it after this missionary and they sold 
lip balm to raise money for international missions. And they ended up, at the time, they were 14 and 12. And then Melody and Jackson got involved as well. And they ended up selling $800 of lip balm. Oh, wow. (laughs) In like two to three weeks. And I told them, you know, everybody loves a cute kid entrepreneur. And so like, what a cool thing. But um, yeah, so there's, there's lots of things like that you could do just reading, talking about missionaries, helping your kids understand that missions um, is a thing exists in the world and how they could contribute in their own way. That ended up being much bigger than I thought it would be, you know, Um, but, but was a really neat thing. But I think, I think the biggest thing, Tina, is honestly being a joyful worshiper yourself and just regularly having family worship times, regularly reminding your kiddos of the greatness and goodness of God and reminding them that not everybody knows about that or has that. And so I know for me, I I just think we're very, very forgetful people. We forget so quickly um, who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and that there are many, many that have no access to those things and that are searching so desperately for hope in other things in the world. Mm-hmm. And so another thing that now we have a high schooler and a middle schooler or older kids and they're in public school. And so there's just a lot that they're exposed to and other choices that other families are making, kids and students are making. And so we have a lot of dialogue around those things and keeping them those conversation lines open, but always bringing it back to the gospel. And so, you know, one of the kids might come home and share, oh, so-and-so is doing this or thinking this. And I'll often say something like, why do you think they're doing that? Or why do you, why do you think they might be making those choices? You know? Um, And now that they're older, we more quickly can get to the gospel and say, well, they're looking for love. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for uh, joy, fulfillment. Um, and then, you know, we might remind them, yeah, we were, we were created for all those things, right? Mm -hmm. We were created for joy. We were created for fulfillment, for relationship, but those things don't actually come through the things of the world. They only come from the father. And so just regularly having these gospel conversations with our kids about things they're seeing, exposed to experiencing in their own life, struggles they have. Um, so just regularly having what I would call just gospel saturated conversations, um, keeps missions before my heart as well. Reminds me, um, just like it, it does the kids. So. Now I remember one of the first times when I told our boys that, well, not everybody in your class is going to know who Jesus is. Yeah. And they were just blown away because that's, they've always known that, you know? Yeah. It's their normal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. So to kind of um, wrap this up, uh, I, I try to remember to ask guests, what is something that you've been um, learning about God or, or a character trait of God that's, Mm -hmm. that's been, I don't know, more um, prominent in your life or that you've really clung to recently, you know, like a a way of encouragement then. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, I really am am thankful that God is present and that he sees. You know, I 
I shared this a couple times probably already, but that he he is with us is and particularly this time of year when we're talking about the Lord coming as in humility as a child. Um Emmanuel, God with us, you know, um, is really when when our family moved overseas. I was so thankful and encouraged that I could say that like God, God is here with us in the midst of struggle mm. and hard things. And then here in the States and as things change and shift in our culture, and I'm so, so grateful that he is with us. And then, um, the, the next one would be that he's sovereign, that he is not just with me, but he is in control and knowing of all things. I find a lot of comfort in that as I can fall down the rabbit hole of fear or worry or anxiety about what's going on in the world and all the things. I just come back to Jesus is the hope of the world and that is where my hope lies as as well. Not in us getting our politics right or straight, not in us doing all the things right, but it's it solely lies in, in who he is. I think that's a great way to <laughs> close this. That That is really encouraging. And thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, um, thanks I feel like I could just keep going and keep asking and picking your brain and all these things, but I know you're busy. So um, thank you for taking the time to join me. My pleasure. It was fun to be with you, Tina. A huge thank you to Rivers for taking time to share her perspective with us. If you've appreciated today's episode, I think you might enjoy my weekly coffee chats. You can sign up for this quick shot of encouragement every Wednesday morning at keepingmysanity.com or by clicking the link in the show notes.